Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. If you're going to a little worship, you're dismissed. And everybody else, if you want to, you can turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19 or follow along in the bulletin. We'll read it in just a minute. Uh, I wanted to start by asking a question. Are you discouraged? You know, if it's not COVID, it's, it's COVID conspiracy theorists. If, if it's not church hurt and church abuse, it's people saying that we're too soft-skinned and that we take everything too personal. You know, if it's not the devastating earthquake in Haiti, it's a violent terrorist group in Afghanistan. So I know that we can all say at some point we have been or are currently discouraged. You know, minus all that, it could be just the own, your, your own difficulties in your home. I'm sure many of us have prayed Come, Lord Jesus, right? We've prayed that many times, and probably more times than any this past year, we've prayed, come, Lord Jesus. And so whether we're currently going through a valley or we will be going through one soon enough, we need to hope in God's word. And so today, I hope God's word penetrates your heart and the Spirit uses it to encourage you, give you endurance and hope for the walk ahead. So we're gonna read 1 Kings 19. Right now, this is God's word. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I'm no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. And there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant and thrown down your altars, and they've killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. 
And he said to him, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rock before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant and thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael, to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Meholah, you shall anoint to be a prophet in your place. And the one who escapes the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elijah put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. So, what we see in this power, well, leading up to this passage, we've just just come off the heels of Elijah and that great showdown at Mount Carmel, where Elijah called down fire and 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 it lit up the sacrifice. And then Elijah prayed for rain, and there had been a drought for three years, and, and the Lord sent rain. And so God had done all these miraculous things leading up to this passage here. And typically, this passage is framed that Elijah was fearful when he heard that Jezebel wanted to kill him, and that he runs off afraid, that he runs off trembling uh, to, to flee this death. But as I studied this, and with the help Uh, the exegetical help of of Dr. Dale Ralph Davis, I I don't think that's what's going on here. Just a few notes to think about before before we really dive in. Um, It it says here in verse 3, it says that when he found out Jezebel wanted to kill him, that he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life. That's in the ESV translation, but in the Hebrew it says he saw. And a lot of the older translations say that there. They say Elijah saw and then he ran. And then if you look throughout the rest of the text, you know he wasn't afraid to die because in verse 4, he asked God to kill him. And then we see that the angel gives him food for the journey and tells him the journey's too great and he gives him food. So he's, it's like God's nudging him along in this journey. So, so what's the point in all that? What does it matter? Well, I think that really changes the way that we look at God's questioning of Elijah. I don't think it's God sitting there going, what are you doing here, Elijah? I mean, that's the way I've typically heard it framed. I think it's the Lord inviting Elijah to pour out his heart. He's saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? Trust me. And so Elijah is definitely discouraged. He is despondent. But I believe he's underestimating God's plan. And so... Let me pray first. I forgot that. I need God's help. Let me pray. 
Lord, as we look at this passage, please help me to share your truth. May it do a work in all of our hearts. Give us confidence in your plan and trust in Christ and his blood alone for our salvation. And help us to grow in our knowledge and understanding of you and what you would have us to do while we're here on this earth. We love you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Now we can really start. All right. So the main theme I think that God wants us to see in this passage is that God is always working. Like he's always working no matter what we see or what we we don't see for that matter, right? Like he's always at work. And so we're going to look at a few points here. The first one is that we need to remember there's always opposition, typically opposition to the gospel. That discourages us, and we just want to, to, to give up. But we must know that there's always going to be opposition until Christ returns. You see it in verses 1 through 3. You know, God has just put his power on display in some amazing ways. He saved a sorceress, and then he, uh, he raised her son from the dead. He sent fire from heaven, then he sent rains to water the earth. And Ahab, in verses 1 through 3, runs home to tell Jezebel all that Elijah had done. How he had killed the prophets with a sword. And then she sends, Jezebel sends a message to Elijah saying, you're dead. I'm going to kill you. And so, we see that there's this opposition Elijah sees that there's no change in Jezebel. There's no change in Ahab. There's no mass repentance. And so he flees. He's sick of seeing the lack of effect that he's had as a prophet. And he's probably sick of seeing the lack of effect that that God has had on these people. How about you and me? Have we grown cold and cynical and jaded, but because it appears that our efforts to win people to Christ have failed. Our efforts to, to share the gospel and disciple our children seem to be failing or seem to have failed. How do we respond when those in our friend group who claim Christ live a life that's completely opposite of, of what the Lord has called us to? Or when we see that in ourselves, we claim Christ, yet we find ourselves going back to the same old things. How do we respond? Or we, we are tempted to believe that it's all a sham, that God is not at work, that he's not doing anything. And then think about our brothers and sisters, as uh, we've prayed this morning, our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. I've seen many texts from church leaders who know church leaders in Afghanistan, and they've been told, stop worshiping Christ or you're dead. And they will kill him, right? That's happening as we speak. What do you think they think in that moment? They're worshiping the one true God and they've been told they're going to die. I'm sure it crosses their mind at some point, especially those that have a wife and children. Is this really worth it? If we're not prepared for opposition, we'll be blindsided by it and tempted to despair and disbelief. We got to remember the promise in Genesis 3. God promised that there would always be enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. Most importantly, we need need to remember that he promised the seed of the woman, one who would crush the serpent's head. We know what happens in the end, right? End game, Jesus wins. But we need to remember that there's always going to be enmity. 
Jesus told his disciples and us, he says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And then he gives us the diagnosis, like what's the problem behind that? And he says, it's because men love darkness and hate the light. So don't let this derail you. God is working. You know, he alone causes the light to shine in darkness so we can take heart. And this leads us to our second point here. God is kind to his discouraged children. Elijah's discouraged, we see in verses one through three. He sees and he he flees. He he runs off to Beersheba, which is about a 130-mile walk or run. I don't know if he ran all of that, but that's a long way. 130 miles. He takes off. He saw the hardness of the heart of the people. He was disgusted. And I think that he's fleeing in an attempt to protect God in in, in a way. Because if Jezebel kills him in the land, it looks like Baal wins. But he wants to get way away, 130 miles away, and say, God, you kill me so they can't find my body. And and you still, you know, retain glory. You, 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 You look glorious. I think that's what's going on. He, want, he, he, he loves the Lord and he wants to honor him. And so he runs, he flees, he leaves his servant in Beersheba and then he travels a little further into the wilderness. He's ready to die. He asks the Lord to take his life. He says, I'm no better than my ancestors. And think of this, how, how kind God is. What does he give him? Does he give him the old what for? In that moment, he gives him sleep and he feeds him. The Lord gives him rest. He sends an angel to feed him warm bread and water, two naps and two meals. Y'all know how refreshing it is to get a little nice sleep and some food. I tell you, the first time I ever got, got some of uh, Stevie Pillar's cheesecake, I thought an angel had visited me. We do a really good job, I think, uh, at this body of providing meals for people who are struggling, providing meals for people who need it. And we need to continue. That's just a side note. It, it, it is nice to, to get some rest and some food, and God was providing for Elijah. He's being kind to him here. He feeds them and gives them rest for the journey ahead. He's, it, it, it says there in, in, in um, I lost my place, but it says there that, that the angel touched him and says, arise and eat for the journey is long. So he knows he's got this journey. So the Lord is nudging him along. And then Elijah takes out for 40 days and 40 nights to journey to Mount Horeb, which is also known as Mount Sinai. And we've heard this before, John read from Exodus 3 uh, this morning. Um, We need to notice the parallels between Moses' ministry and Elijah's ministry. They both both meet with God on Mount Sinai. Here Elijah is at the mountain of God. This is where Moses met with him to intercede for the people of Israel and to also receive the law and to speak with God. And it says, Elijah came there to the cave. In verse 9, it says, Elijah came there in the cave and lodged in it. And, 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 and the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? I don't think that that is a rebuke. I think that that is a, a, a fatherly question to his servant, to his son. 
He's not angry with him in this moment. He, he's, he's saying, what or why are you here, Elijah? Pour your soul out to me. Speak to me. And so we see Elijah's response. He pours his soul out to the Lord. He says, Lord, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Elijah has this holy anger for what he sees in, in God's people, the covenant people. He's grieved because they are just, they're, they're following after Baal, following after their own ways. And when I was reading Elijah's response to the Lord's question, it really convicted me because I'm often more grieved at the Walmart checkout line or the fact that my kids are a little rambunctious than what's going on with the Lord and his glory and the gospel. Like, it made me think and helped me refocus and ask, am I more disgruntled over my stuff and my things or the things of the Lord? I mean, it's not to say that we're not going to be upset about things, but what is the main thing? Like, what am I most upset or discouraged, disgruntled about? Is it the things of the Lord? Well, Elijah was definitely upset about this, and he pours out his complaint to the Lord. And then we see the Lord in tenderness invite Elijah a little closer. He says to Elijah, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke into pieces the rock before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in, a fire, in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper, or in, in the original language, it's a thin silence. And when Elijah heard this, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah gave the same answer as before. And I think what we need to see in this is the way that the Lord deals tenderly with his discouraged servant. This questioning is a reminder and an offering. It's a reminder that the Lord knows his children by name and an offering to come and to speak to him because you have his ear. So if you're discouraged... You need to remember that you have the ear of the Lord. The Lord that knows you by name. It's so easy to think that he thinks of us as this faceless and nameless being. He knows you by name. I mean, could you imagine, what are you doing here, Josh? What are you doing here, Richard? Cindy? Teresa? Christina? Sarah Francis, like he knows you by name and he cares for you and you have his ear. He knits you together in the womb. He knows everything about you. And so you can go to him like Elijah and like the psalmist and pour your heart out to him. Remember that he is working even when it appears that he is not, even when it appears that everything is falling apart, he is working for your good and his glory. He came to Elijah in a thin silence. 
I love what Matthew Henry said about this moment. He said, the wind and the earthquake and the fire did not make Elijah cover his face, but the still small voice did. Gracious souls are more affected by the tender mercies of God than by his terrors. Because see, Elijah might have expected him to come in the earthquake and to come in the wind and in the fire, but he's not in those. He's in the still small voice or the, 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 the brief thin silence. And in that moment, that humbled Elijah. He knew that he was meeting with the Holy One just as Moses had. You remember how Moses had to be hidden in the cleft of the rock? Well, when God calls him out with this thin silence, Elijah wraps his face up because he knows a sinner can't meet face to face with a holy God and live. God's kindness to Elijah led him to a posture of humility and holy reverence. And we know Paul says in Romans 2, it's, it's, it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. When we know we deserve and we expect the hammer to come down and God gives us grace, that humbles a man, that humbles a woman. So we see, the, we see Elijah pour his heart out to him, to the Lord. And the Lord actually he responds, I believe he responds to Elijah with agreement. He, he agrees with Elijah's assessment. And this leads us to our third point. And these last two will, will be a little quicker. Um, God will punish the wicked. He will. In verses 15 through 17, the Lord tells Elijah to go and anoint Hazael. And a brief side note on that. Remember how we started off? Elijah saw what, what took place between Ahab and Jezebel and he fled. Well, God sees too. And Hazael, his name literally means God has seen. He tells Elijah to, get, to go anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. Jehu to be king over Israel and Elisha to be prophet. And these people will be the instruments in the hand of God to bring about his judgment on all the Baal worship. They will be the instruments in God's hands to bring judgment upon Israel and Ahab's household and Jezebel. They're going to clean up the idolatrous Baal worship at least for a time. And this is a great reminder to us that not one wicked deed that has been done to you or that's being done to someone else, not one wicked deed will go unpunished or that you've done for that matter. For those who repent and believe the gospel, Christ pays your penalty and takes the punishment. For those who remain unrepentant and unbelieving in God, God will repay. We need to remember not to take vengeance in our own hands, but remember that the, the vengeance is of the Lord. He will repay. God will make it right. And if you finish reading 1 Kings and on into 2 Kings, you see that God did exactly what he said he would do. And so this, this brings us to our last point in conclusion. God will save and keep his people. We see that in the last verse, in verse 18, after Elijah has poured his out, heart out to the Lord, we see the Lord say, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that, is not, that has not kissed him. 
See, Elijah had a vision problem at that moment. He didn't see what the Spirit of God was doing behind the scenes. He's not all-knowing and we're not all-knowing. We don't know who God's elect are. We don't know who all is, is, a, is God's people or are God's people. And God reminds him in verse 18 that he has a people and he will save them. Sometimes it's so easy to get discouraged and quit sharing the gospel because we don't see people coming to faith. It may be that neighbor or that friend or that coworker or that child. It's so easy to get discouraged because we don't see fruit. But we must remember that we're sowing seed and watering. It's God that gives growth. Remember the words of Jesus in Acts 18 when he was talking to Paul. He says, do not be afraid. Go on speaking. Don't be silent. For I am with you. For I have many in this city who are my people. There are people in Greenwood, Mississippi who are God's people and he will use us to share the gospel with them and call them out of sin in repentance and faith to Jesus Christ. We take things so personal when we aren't heard or when we're rejected, but we must remember that we're messengers of Jesus with his gospel to proclaim for his glory. And so God is reminding Elijah here that it's not about Elijah, it's about the Lord. I'm gonna save my people. So don't lose heart. God is working. He will build his church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But he uses us to go out into the world and to preach the gospel and to make disciples. Conclusion here. This is our last sermon on the life of Elijah. There's some more things that could be said, but, I, but I'll end with this. Elijah goes on to do exactly what the Lord commanded him to do. He passes his office on to Elisha. And then later in 2 Kings, we read of Elijah being taken up in, in, in a chariot of fire. So Elijah saw some amazing things in his lifetime on this earth. I can't imagine what it's like to be taken up in a chariot of fire or to see fire come down from heaven like he saw. So he saw some amazing things, but I would argue that that's not the most amazing thing that he saw. It didn't come until we get into the New Testament, the scripture that Corley read this morning. I mean, what a scene. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up to the mountain, and there Moses and Elijah appear. They've been gone for a long time. And here they are. They appear on this mountain. And Peter gets all amped up and excited. Moses and Elijah are here. And what does the Lord say? Peter, this is my beloved son whom you, um, who, with whom I'm well pleased. And you will do well to listen to him. Elijah and Moses are there seeing Jesus face to face. Moses, the great prophet that led the rebellious children through the wilderness, interceding for them, receiving God's law, but, it, but he was excluded from entering the promised land because of disobedience. And then Elijah, the great prophet, he went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Ahab and Jezebel. Elijah, who raised the dead, called down fire, called down rain. And here he is, face-to-face -face with the one to whom it all pointed to, the, his creator, and his Redeemer, he's face to face with Jesus. And we don't know all the details that were shared, but we do know that Jesus spoke to them of his departure, his exodus, 
the, the, the second exodus, if you will. The exodus that was about to take place. How he was the fulfillment of all that they pointed to. How he would go to the cross as the sacrificial lamb and take away the sins of the world. And then he would rise again from the dead as God's first fruits of the new age. Elijah, though he was a great prophet, he was only a type of the one who was to come. Jesus is the better prophet. As our shorter catechism says, he's the one who reveals to us by his word and spirit the will of God for our salvation. He's our only hope. And so remember this as we go out, remember that God is always working in good times and in bad. He's drawing you closer to himself. Pour your heart out to him. He's got people in this city, people in this world, and his plans can't be stopped. So continue to share the gospel and make disciples. Don't lose heart. Let's pray. Um, Lord, thank you so much for your word. That's a great encouragement to us. Um, we know that there will always be opposition and we must remember that, that, that your plans will not fail no matter how, how rough it gets. Um, Lord, help us to remember that you were always, uh, you, you love your children and you were kind to the discouraged disciple and that we can come to you because of what Christ has done and pray. And you have, we have your ear. You listen to us and you act for your glory. And so help us to go out today and do all things in the name of Christ for your glory. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.